Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Trial by Fire. Um, I first want to apologize for, I guess, the abysmally long time it's been since one of these episodes has been out. I know you guys have been screaming at me to get another episode out and have been going back and listening to older episodes and things like that. So um, first of all, I'm just very sorry that it's been so long. Things are just up in the air a little bit sometimes and just, of course, without being able to travel, haven't been able to interview people. Um, even on the laptop, I'm having some technical issues with the, the cables that I'm using um, that allow me to record Skype calls on my laptop. Apparently on, on an iPad, you can't record a Skype interview or you can't record a Skype call. Maybe you can, but I haven't figured out how to do it. So essentially, I have two cables for this for this um, microphone that I'm using. The first one goes into the iPad, which is what I'm using right now. And the other con uh, connection is the one that I used to use for Skype interviews, uh, which has broken. And because it's an older microphone, uh, I, of course, I can't get a replacement um, lead for it. So I can't record Skype calls anymore unless I maybe purchase a new microphone or something like that, which obviously I can't really afford right now. But um, I'm hoping that I can fix that problem in some way, shape or form soon. So until then... Most of the interviews that I will be doing are going to be, um, I guess, in person. Some old school interviewing, which are also pretty fun, arguably more fun than the Skype calls. It's always nice to be in the same room with somebody when you're talking to them. So that's kind of one of the reasons why I haven't really been able to uh, interview anybody. Um, and then also because I'm, we're, we're all stuck in our respective places that we can't really travel right now, of course. So hopefully though, New Year, uh, hopefully we're going to get more time to travel. I'm looking forward to being able to interview more people and hopefully get more regular episodes out and start getting the ball rolling again with these because I do, I do miss it and I do enjoy interviewing people and I do enjoy the buzz of being able to share that with you guys. I do like to document uh, people's lives and I, I love being able to tell stories with people. Um, and it's actually something that we talk about in the interview that I have here. Uh, it's an episode or it's a interview rather that I recorded with Jamie Dakota a couple of months ago. Um, you might remember Jamie from a couple of um, one of our first episodes, actually. Uh, we talked to him about canoeing in Scotland and the UK. He runs Howell Bushcraft, really interesting guy. And it's always fun to talk to him. Um, and something that we did discuss on that episode, on that uh, interview is the idea of creativity, the idea of telling stories, the idea of being able to implement creative tools to bring to life the outdoors, because I think there's so many creative people out there and it doesn't necessarily have to be an output like a photographer or a filmmaker or something like that. There's there's many ways to be creative and it is something that we do talk about in that interview, but it's something that I'd like to explore more this year um, maybe start documenting interesting stories in in maybe a video format I've recently updated my camera that it kind of is going to allow me now to shoot things in maybe a little bit more depth um, I can record in slow motion I can record uh, raw video so you know, that's something that I'd love to explore more this year. And it would be nice to have that as a supplementary thing to the trial by fire repertoire. So, you know, always outdoor related, of course, but maybe expanding out from just bushcrafts, you know, talk to people that are interesting and 
I guess one of those people is um, a couple that are based up in the north. And I will get to how I ended up there, but there's a, a dog sledding team, a homestead run by two amazing people. Um, and they it's called Northern Soul Journeys. And they have, I think, about 20 dogs. Really cool couple. Um, she's from Connecticut, he's from Sweden, and they just live up there in the north, up in the up near the Arctic in Norrbotten, uh, just bringing people out on on dog sleds. And I had the pleasure a couple of months ago of being up there with them and going out on the dogs, and it was a, a totally amazing experience. I'd never been on a dog sled before, and it's just it's so quiet and calm and surprisingly like quite smooth as well I was expecting it to be quite a bumpy ride but it was such a cool experience and they're two very knowledgeable people in particularly in when it comes to dog sledding but they're living up there in, in very much a homestead kind of live lifestyle and they're really interesting and I'm hoping to get back up there soon and record some stuff with them be that an interview for a podcast or maybe do some video with them and maybe record a little documentary and of course I'll share all that stuff with you guys so that is something that I do want to pursue more this year and sort of expand out to creative um, assets that I kind of create to to bring stories to you guys um, but I suppose just to bring it back a little bit as to some of the stuff that I've been up to I've been uh, well in November we went to I went up north with John, my my boss who owns the canoe centre here, as you might have seen on my private channel. Um, he's part of a team that are now working on a website called Sviamestra. And the team are based in Denmark and he's here in Sweden. And basically it's a website dedicated to showing people what's available in their own country um, in lieu of being able to travel this year and go on holidays and maybe a, a more traditional holiday it's not possible that maybe traveling around your own country and seeing things is is now more than ever you know something that's worthwhile and so they've created this website that is packed with really interesting places to visit in Sweden and I believe that it's going to be expanded out to Denmark next year but there's everything from the dog sledding as we said to hot air balloons there's hotels there's uh, B&Bs there's all sorts of stuff on there and it's really interesting so I urge you to check that out and one of the uh, the ideas that John had was that we could take a little bit of a road trip up through Sweden and kind of talk to some of these people that are on the website, interview them, get them on the Facebook page and things like that. And we met some really cool people. We stayed in one place called Hotel Stilleben, which I believe translates to still life. And it turns out that the uh, the couple there that run the, the B&B are actually fans of the podcast. So that was pretty great. So if you guys are listening, thanks for having us. Uh, I'd love to get back up there and, and see you guys soon. So Hotel Stilleben, it used to be a schoolhouse. Um, and then I believe there was two guys that then converted it into this hotel. And then subsequently, the guys who run it now bought it from them. And then, then we headed up further north, up through the northern high coast. And it started to get colder and colder getting down to minus 15 minus 20 uh really never really experienced cold like that before and it was it was pretty cool um so that's where we met northern soul journeys and when we acquainted with them and got out on the on the uh the dog sleds so basically what's happening now is that 
John's decided because he fell in love with the place to go up there with the family for a couple of months while the canoe centres closed down. And I've decided to go up and join them for a while and to work with uh, Aurora Safari Camp. Uh, Aurora Safari Camp um, were the guys who put us up when we got up there. They've got, uh, you know, this beautiful space up there where they can bring people out in teepees and laboos and they can bring people out ice fishing and, you know, you can go you can take a, a, a dunk in the freezing water if you want and then get back into the sauna. They've got all sorts of cool stuff going on up there. We went on some uh, some some snowmobiles. Again, something that I had never done before. And it was just altogether an absolutely amazing place. Beautiful experience. Never been up to, up to the Arctic before. And basically out of that, we, we really struck it off with them. You know, we got became good friends with them and and now I'm going to go up with them for a while and and work up there for for a while while the canoe center is like kind of dormant right now obviously um so that's going to be happening at the end of this month and hopefully when I'm up there we can meet some interesting people and get some interviews ready to go for you guys to hear so that's where my next adventure is uh, going to be taking me it's a pretty cool thing to be able to do I've never in my wildest dreams thought that this journey of being a bushcrafter and getting outside would lead me to the Arctic Circle, uh, working with hot air balloons and, and dog sled teams. And it's I'm I feel very lucky for that. And I do hope to not squander it and to hopefully, as I said, bring you guys along and get some of those really cool stories captured on on tape or on film for uh, for future uh, references and things like that so yeah that's the the next kind of chapter for me um at least for a little while and yeah i hope that um it's going to be an exciting year for all of us and we're going to get lots of work done and we're going to get lots of interesting adventures done and yeah so let's let's kick it off with a good start hopefully 2020 really kicked us in the ass and you know let's let's put that behind us and try and get a new year ahead of us and, and to think positively so i'm going to leave you now with an interview that i did as i said with jamie dakota um, back in God, I, I think it might have been back in October that we recorded this episode, uh, that interview, and I have apologised profusely to to him many times for taking so long to get it out, but um, but here it is, um, really interesting, really fun conversation. We talk about creativity, as I said, we talk about being an instructor, about what what he puts his kind of concentration into when he's planning a trip or when he's planning a course for someone and uh, yeah just just an altogether nice nice conversation so look here's a here's to you guys um hope you guys are having a good new year and hopefully i'll see you soon until then take care and enjoy this interview and i'll talk to you bye bye quite a few of my friends one of them being Lars Thompson um who was actually on the podcast as well and um, we talked to him about textiles and all sorts of nerdy stuff but he is super into his kit he has beautiful tarps and beautiful sleeping bags and stuff and I'll just pick his brain you know I'll be out with him and going oh, what's this like tab oh it's a sill nylon and you know they, this just came out last year and oh this is using like a new material that's you know and it's really cool to pick their brains as well and just get into the really like uh detailed kind of nerdy stuff that uh yeah. that improves performance essentially you know it's like any sport you know every every time the gear gets better the bikes get faster the the you know the swimmers get more aerodynamic uh the sport improves and i think um i've really 
try to this year uh, kind of take on some of that and try and not be so dogmatic about just being bushcraft as in for example the kayak i started going out in the kayak and a lot of the, a lot of my uh, a lot of not a lot of people but a couple of people were saying like oh you've you've abandoned the canoe have you like you're going <laughs> you're going lightweight and i was like no I, I went out in a shorts and t-shirt it was the middle of summer and no bushcraft gear i didn't even have a knife in my belt i know it's total sacrilege um <laughs> yeah that, that's it this uh, this uh, interview's over I'm yeah to leave over over um <laughs> No, but I had like I had like a super lightweight knife with me. I had uh, just enough that I could fit in the in the front and the back of the kayak, and yeah, yeah. hit the lake. And damn, man, I had a great time, you know. And sometimes it's it's nice to be able to do that. And and I'm thinking about bicycles now in the future as well. If there's a way that we can yeah. like and travel and bicycle, go super ultra light. You know, I'm looking at the the new uh, Nordisk Telemark two, um, as I believe you have one as well, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. They just brought out a, a two point two. Sorry, that, yeah, that's uh, that's the one. Sorry, I'm getting the two point two. Yeah, yeah. I think the yeah, only don't, don't talk, don't talk to me about that. I'll get no ten envy again. I've only just bought mine. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think the only difference is uh, there's an extra uh, door on on the other side. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those where you know you, yeah. it's it's always it's always the same, isn't it? You just like what? the next version just got one tweak that you're like, oh, that would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but is it is it worth six hundred quid? <laughs> it's like yeah, <laughs> again. But imagine if I did have that extra door. <laughs> yeah, I could see like twice as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like that. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard of that? There's an old uh, science experiment that was done with two monkeys, and they were both in different cages, and uh, the the experimenter or the scientist was he would hand uh, one of them a peanut and then the other one a peanut and they were su- uh, yeah. super happy with their peanuts you know like there's one peanut for you every time they did whatever put their hand out they got a peanut and yeah. uh they were totally fine with their peanuts and then she, they mixed it up a bit one of them put his hand out and all of a sudden he got a grape <laughs> i've heard of this yeah, yeah. and then the other the other, the, the, yeah. the other monkey goes mental yeah the other monkey's <laughs> like it puts his hand out and he gets a peanut and it's like wait, wait hold on a second how come you get to, it's like well you were super happy with your peanut a few minutes ago until you realized there was a grape involved in the conversation yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit like that yeah, absolutely yeah no, I, I love that yeah yeah but, but i mean that's true of like you know that's true of life anyway i think like one of the um one of the um one of the best things about lockdown this year has been that you know as soon as you have all the um you know, thousands of possibilities stripped away from you of what you're going to do with your day. And actually, the the only thing you can do today is go for a walk within a few miles of your house. Um, like, I noticed my personal stress levels just came way down. And I was like, oh, yeah, like the idea of, you know, not having, um, like, yeah, one, one of the best things about being on the trips that we find with, with clients as well is that you get them out, um, in the canoe and suddenly all there is is you know canoeing we've got a paddle to this island and then set up uh, set up camp light a fire have some dinner and because the you know the, although all those things might be really challenging there's not that many of this it's not like you could go to 15 different islands or you've got a choice of 70 restaurants that you could eat in that night you know all of your options are limited um, but actually then you find that it's the sort of paralysis of choice that often people have difficulty with, I think, in modern life. And, um, yeah, having limited options and then just your kind of skills and wits, um, I think, makes for a happier 
a happier time. Absolutely. What do you? Uh, it's interesting you mentioned there the uh, the tyranny of choice. Do you think that's that goes for equipment as well? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just you know, pulling out your um, your drawer in the bedroom and figuring out which knife I'm going to take out with me on any given day is a nightmare. Um, that's the one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you got to strip that back sometimes. You know, strip back your gear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, so I was just watch, watching that um, video you made last week um, to go with the article you wrote for the journal hmm. um, where you'd taken out that, that army surplus gear. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like on one level, I had massive nostalgia for all of my old um, surplus gear that I started out with. Um, but I do remember it being easier because I just had one backpack and one tarp one sleeping bag and so all i ever had to do was pick up that pack and go whereas now between obviously having all my different bits of personal kit and then all the all the professional gear that we run the courses with you know if i wanted to if i if i'd not i suppose i've kind of been through that that transition so i do i i don't suffer from it as much as I did at one point, but yeah, like you could spend hours just in the garage figuring out what you were going to take and what you wanted to play with. Um, and it's the same, like it's the same. I think one of the reasons why I liked that, that article on that video is that I think there is, um, it can be a challenge for people that are just getting into it that essentially want to go outside and enjoy nature with, with very little, and almost as soon as you enter the bushcraft world at this point, you know, you're hit with a plethora of, you know, right down to like, oh, you ha- are you going to have uh, merino wool liner socks inside of your wool socks? Or are you going to have synthetic wool socks with... And you're just like, you know, you can't even get out of the house. Um, no. yeah, and I think... Yeah, I, it, yeah. and it is, it is useful to... And it is useful to know you can go out there with just anything. You know, and the people that come on my courses, there are, there are all kinds of people, all stages of their kind of own their their own outdoor um, adventures, um, and it's never the the kit that they've come with is never the deciding factor on whether they they have a good time or not, or whether they're into it. It's it's always mindset. So yeah, like you know, if there's if there's one thing that I try and get across in the course information that we send out when people book. And just in general, it's that, you know, just just get there. Just go outside. <laughs> um, Absolutely. It, once you're outside, yeah, it, you, yeah, it doesn't matter. And That's it. It really doesn't matter. And I and I think as well, when you are like, a, um, I don't know if you can hear me, just the connection's a little bit sketchy there, but um, luckily yeah, you're recording ahead. it. Yeah, hopefully you can hear me. But um, it's it's again, it's one of those things. That I guess it's like the telemark, isn't it? You look at your like you um, you agonize over these specs on a screen. You know, it's like yeah, this one is like two hundred grams. It's like yeah, but this is two hundred and five grams. It's like man, that extra five <laughs> yeah. grams. You know, blah, 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 blah. you know. And and yeah, honestly, yeah. dude, like once once you've made the purchase and you live with that piece of kit for I don't know six months, a year, two years. I mean, you don't even remember what the specs are. I've often been asked, like, what what steel is that knife? And it might be a knife that I've written an article for. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I can't remember. Yeah, I see all that. Time 95. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I used to work in an outdoor shop um, selling bushcraft gear. And it was the same. At the time, 
I had all that information locked because I was talking to people about it all the time. But yeah, like bit like specifications for gear and stuff. That's all just disposable knowledge to me. Like I'll I'll hold it all in my head while I'm looking at it, and then as soon as I've made the decision, I just have a purge and it all leaves. And, and including the the specs of the kit that I bought, I just you know I trust that I did my research well enough when I did it. And then it's gone. I don't care anymore. That's a really um, good approach, dude. Because, like, why waste brain energy on remembering, like, that it's 200.4 grams? And you're like, dude, I don't, <laughs> I don't need to know yeah, that. Yeah. I just remember yeah, no, hiking sure. it with it in my back up, up the Karangorums and that, you know. Yeah, man. No, absolutely. And I think, like you say, it's... it's um, all it ever makes for is a slightly lighter pack, I think. Unless you've unless unless you do the thing where you go, well, my my tarp weighs half as much now, so I'll buy I'll take three other things that I wouldn't have taken before. Sure, because I've got the weight, and that gets dangerous. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I think, um, yeah, it it does not it it doesn't do anything other than just make the pack lighter. So, um, and well, at least looking at my waistline at this point given the sedentary starts of the year. Um, <laughs> I, I could do to carry a bit more weight around and, and drop a few pounds. Get so. that LK35 yeah. out, dude. Get the get the, uh, <laughs> get the Polish lab. Oh, man. What, what did I used to carry? I had... Um, uh, I bought it because it looked like one of the Hobbit rucksacks. Oh, know, right. The rings. Was it it's like one a, of the Swedish... I think it's like a Swedish Alpine pack. The, the Swiss Alpine uh, pack, maybe? Yeah, it might be, yeah. It's, got, it's just one big dump pouch with this kind of a partial... Uh, external metal frame and leather straps and um it looks uh, from what i remember it looked pretty similar to frodo's rucksack on on uh, lord of the rings so that was like that's what i was started with it was like i think it took about 30 liters of stuff in the body and then it had straps for a bedroll underneath and um yeah i mean it weighs a ton and um but i loved that pack and yeah i did I, I don't think i had a tarp at the time i think when i was using that i what did I have? I think I had a British Army bivy bag. Mm-hmm. Standard. Really, pretty, yeah, pretty standard. And then, oh, no, no, I didn't actually. What I had was um, British Army did a down bag with a waterproof, um, like, bottom on it. It's called, like, the um, gen- the general's bag or the, 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 the officer's bag, I think it is. The officer down bag. Right. Yeah, so I, so I had one of those. We got one from a surplus shop in Sheffield. Nice, um, nice. I, I'd, um, JJ's, that's the one, if it's still around, JJ's of Sheffield. Um, but yeah, we used to get a load of kit from there, and I had I had that, and then um, uh, the poncho that went over the top of it. And and I think I had a, oh, in fact, I've still got it, one of the, I don't know if it's, again, Norwegian or Swedish um, nesting trandia type stoves. It's like an oval shape. The oval um, shape is it the is it the Swiss uh what's it called the the volcano uh, stuff? It it's um it's it's like a transit you know, like you, you sort of take it apart and there's a, a wind uh, a windshield slash stand you yeah then pop, it, pop back into. But I just remember like the cross section of it is an oval, so it kind of sits. It's quite slim and sits quite tall in the pack. Yeah, it's like has it got um, a cork uh, in the bottle instead of a lid? Um, it's not got a bottle. It's um, oh. it was a. It's oh, I'll have to look it up, but it's like a two-part uh, nesting. Okay, uh, maybe it, maybe it is the old uh, Swedish. Yeah, there was like a Swedish military trangia that came with. It was like a canteen that kind of turned into yeah, like a was, little like a little stove burn, like a little burner yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's it. It got like one pot with a, a bail arm, mm. like a wire sort of arm, yes. and then the other one was sort of a um, 
I guess like sort of a mug, but but not with a folding metal arm that you could put a stick through to make it into like a long handled. Thing. Yeah, I think I think um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but man, I, yeah, how, yeah. how do we get on with these things? And and the thing is, like, you think they're the coolest pieces of kit at the. Uh, that exist and and you you modify them you like add an extra arm here you drill a hole there <laughs> yeah, and like they really like that surplus kit like you're really not afraid to like customize it and mess with it and stuff like you're not going to do that to your you know to your new fjall raven pack or to your you know your your sil nylon tarp you're not going to add toggles you know? <laughs> it's like... oh no absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> well you couldn't that's the other thing as well the the, the benefit of that surplus stuff is because it's all just made out of like canvas and stuff yeah, you can take a sewing needle to it. If I took a sewing needle to my rab tarp that I'm running at the minute, I'd just put a massive hole in it, and <laughs> there'd be there'd be no way of like getting the tension right. It'd just tear because um, you won't be. You, I don't. You know, you've not got that technical sewing ability. Yeah, yeah, it's um, true. But um, let, yeah, let's yeah. be interesting because I'm interested to bring it back to uh the to your school a little bit, um, mm-hmm. how bushcraft, um. You mentioned there that when you bring people out that uh, they, what you're trying to do is just give them the best outdoor experience as possible. Where do you find the balance between, uh, well, maybe maybe you already answered this, but like where, where's the balance between, I guess, the equipment? Because obviously you give them an equipment list when... Um, when you before prior to the bringing them out where do you find yeah. the balance between equipment between uh letting them kind of choose their own path as you were saying and then it's like mm-hmm. okay well this is the course criteria like so because you've obviously you've been an instructor for quite a long time and you're obviously got a very like a mature sense of um you know what it is to be an instructor that it's not you with a f- circle of people around you like you're kind of in it and part of part of their experience with them as a guide um yeah i mean i think um so i know there's a lot in that so (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. just unpack that in your own time i'll go get a cup of coffee yeah yeah, cheers mate (laughs) i'll catch you in about 20 minutes (laughs) um well so i think like on a on a sort of um uh, on a basic kind of risk assessment level so if we talk talk about one of the canoe trips which is that's kind of, I suppose, demands the most of the clients in every way. Um, I've got a certain level of responsibility to make sure that they they stay alive while they're out with us. Um, so, um, so making sure that the so the course information that we send out to people, um, I went to quite an effort to make that a sort of a uh quite it's quite a weighty document it's yeah, several I've, pages long i've seen it it's uh i believe you sent me one before we took a trip uh, it's really comprehensive even as someone who probably knew the stuff in it i was really interested to read it just to see what your approach was to i suppose because uh, that's almost the first the first step with with your client isn't it it's like that's the first mo like piece of learning it's like okay this isn't we, we're starting now before you even get yeah to yeah it. Yeah, yeah, I forgot to send you that actually. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's it. I mean, for me, I wanted people. I wanted at every level of interaction um, with the with the clients to be something worth doing. So whether they're reading course information on the website or they're going through the course pack, I want every element of that interaction to be worthwhile of it on its own. So the welcome packs for all of the courses are what I think are, are quite beautiful documents, mm-hmm. um, but yep. they're also in themselves the the. It's, you know, it'd be worthwhile just reading the welcome pack to our itinerant course sure. just for the sake of reading it. I love the name of um, that, by the way. 
<laughs> yeah, I've got a, I've, I've got a nerdy obsession with having cool names for stuff. <laughs> like gypsies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it came from. I think I stole it from like American um, itinerant postman. Uh, I had this idea that, that, and again, it just comes from the way that I, I make my journeys outdoors. But the idea that yeah, you're just kind of light on your feet, and you, uh, you've got everything in your pack, and otherwise you make use of the land. Um, but it's all mobile, so there's so um, it's not kind of like uh, I suppose wilderness l- living skills as such. Like we're not tanning hides or you know smoking fish, but it's all like you know um, stuff that gets you in- engaging with nature. So you're not living out of your rucksack. There's an interaction there, um, but it's I suppose the 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 best example of it is um pot hangers so the pot hangers we use are tripods mostly um because it's three sticks and a bit of bramble to tie it together and boom you're done and it's versatile you can move it in any direction um or you know on any um any degree where it's up down left right and all that sort of thing um but it's quick and it's using natural materials whereas something like uh, a more sophisticated you know crane arm system uh you know, I might use if I'm camping in one space for a week. Yeah, so exactly. Not You're not going to build it every time you, you need to. I mean, honestly, for me, pot hangers, I more than likely almost just throw the, the pot in the fire itself. But obviously, yeah. you're not going to control the heat very well with that. But yeah, I, I, I kind of I know where you're coming from with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, we start with that. So that's on the, on the itinerant course. The the first thing they do is we, we when we come to the pot hanger section, mm-hmm. we just kick it kick a billy can into a fire yeah. while it comes to a boil we look at the other stuff yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly just, just to kind of highlight that point yeah yeah um but yeah so um what was i talking about uh oh balancing kit and stuff sure um, yeah <laughs> yeah uh, yeah so i've got an obligation to make sure that they're kitted out enough so that they're not just going to have a terrible time as soon as they get there so that's 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 the first thing um and then also there's a little bit of information about um uh, emergency so again with the canoeing in particular if they fall in the water they've got a ditch kit with them and we check everybody's got a ditch kit before we leave um which is just a complete change of clothes you know and some um you know some warm layers basically and a, and a survival blanket um so on that level that's great and then um outside of that so once i know that people have got an appropriate sleeping bag and um which is fundamentally all they really need i suppose uh, maybe a little bit more given whether they're going to be under a tarp or in a tent that sort of thing um but outside of that then it's up to them so if they want to come in a tent that's brilliant um if they want to come with just a tarp and a bivy bag or something like that again that's that's great the courses are varied enough to to, to allow for that and i think the glen Africa trip that we just ran was a was a good example where um sort of a multidisciplinary trip so we do some canoeing but there's some beautiful mountains up near Glen Africa. so we uh, one of the days we hike them up to the top of a Munro so it's about a thousand meters um just over a thousand meters and again it, it's a real world trip so we can't kind of promise anything but the, the hope is that the weather's working for us and they'll hike up to the top of a Munro and camp there and come back down uh, the next day and then back in the canoes and we we do some more canoeing um and the whole the whole trip is kind of you know it can swing one way or the other if the weather's 
really terrible we can do more lowland stuff if the weather's beautiful and the clients are loving it we can do more mountainous stuff um but it's quite broad so it's quite varied um but within that um it's also like i said we, we want them to have the trip that they want to have so this last one that we ran in august um we had the majority of people in tents but two people had just got bivy bags and tarps as their kind of set up so got to the top of the Munro, that's what they were camping in. So again, it was just facilitating that, getting them um, set up with kind of walking poles and, you know, configuring the tarps into like tarp tents and that sort of thing, um, which again, it's like brilliant learning. So the people that put their tents up then get then get stuck into, you know, so the whole group was involved in, in them helping get their tarp set up. It's a beautiful um, thing to, um, to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's just no, so, something I'm thinking about. It's like such an amazing thing as to be a well-rounded outdoorsman, I think. The, the, if you're confident in climbing a mountain, knowing how to use your walking poles, knowing how to use your, you know, obviously with someone with you that is an expert like yourself, or not an expert, sorry, because I do hate that term, but a, <laughs> yeah. a guide. Um able to show you how to use a compass and you get back in a canoe you're shown how to use a canoe paddle you, you you get back to camp you can light your fire i mean all of these things there it's an it's such an adventure isn't it it's it's that real uh, i guess for us maybe having done it for so long like we take we take it for granted well at least i do um I, but like that adventure man it's really like lost and not lost but it's really something that people like need you know it's really something yeah, that so. that people don't often get to experience in their lives you know yeah yeah and it's it's you kind of do it in a really honest way as well yeah. so you're not it's not that sort of artifice of, of again like we're going to go and conquer this mountain exactly um and so we've got to do all these things it's it's like it is genuine like the idea of well we want to go camping in our canoes and there's a hill you know let's go walk up the hill and we can because you know we've put the time into learning those things and we know how to do it safely um and then it is just yeah it's just good fun <laughs> like that's that's why you would be out there um so again it's that it's um it's that thing I, and you mentioned this in a previous episode i think um and, and kindly name dropped me i think into it as well <laughs> um but that 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 um that eighty twenty thing of like knowing enough. So you know if you yeah you can you can be a, absolutely an alpine specialist, and that is you know one hundred percent then of your outdoor life is alpine stuff, and you can do it to the best that anybody could possibly do it. Um, but then that's all you do, and so you know if you then want to be um. Uh, specialist canoe in you know canoe traveler or canoe instructor whatever it is um you get down that road enough and then that that's all you do um yeah and that's yeah and i think it yeah and i think it's really important to understand that because just because you're very well knowledgeable in one area of the outdoors that you're you might be completely like you know you might know enough in your field that people think you're the dog's balls but then you know you get thrown into like a freaking kayak and you're like well <laughs> i i don't know how to use this piece of yeah, equipment yeah. um yeah and some people are very they're not good at like being like okay this is totally new to me i've been out i've been in the outdoors for 10 15 years and hell this is new to me like i think that takes real maturity as a as an outdoorsman to uh or an outdoor person to uh to ultimately become as best as you can, you know, yeah, as, yeah. as as well well rounded as you can be, you yeah. know. And I think like a lot of that, 
um, like that that question of am I good enough? Mm-hmm. I think uh, you've kind of you've ultimately got to answer that question yourself. Like right. nobody's gonna nobody's gonna tell you you're good enough because how would they know? Uh, and so you get to a point where you just like. So for me, um, I I don't know like firelighting for example like. I I believe myself to be good enough at firelighting at this point that I don't have to dedicate a lot of time to that That's, yeah. skill set alone. When you're um, out. Yeah, exactly. I'm, it's not that I'm shelving it or anything, but it's just like, you know what? I have lit enough fires in enough conditions, sure. in enough ways yeah. that I'm confident with that. This trip um, is about A, B, or C. It's not about my fire lighting skills. I'm not going to use a bow drill, or I'm not going to use a freaking, or even sometimes not even use a fire steel. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, some matches. Yeah, oh, it's like, yeah, yeah, I've got my fire because I want to. I want to try this new recipe, for example. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, or conversely, it might be that, like, yeah, I am going to light a fire by bow drill today because that's mm-hmm. what I feel like doing. Exactly. And, yes. You know? And so it kind of goes both ways, but, um, but yeah. So for me, like you know, looking at that sort of rounded outdoor life. Uh, and again, it's, you know, just my, the, the way that I feel about being outside, um, is that I, I sort of don't want to be, um, I don't want to be an expert in any particular field. I'd rather be able to just kind of, you know, go anywhere. Um, there's that sort of phrase, you know, the, um, the kind of old cliche of, um, what is it? Jack of all trades, master of none. That's it. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's nice know, to be a jack of all trades. <laughs> well, do you know? Do you know the? Do you know the complete phrase? Do you know the end of that? No, I don't. Hit me. No. So, so the the full kind of um, the full kind of phrase is a jack of all trades, a master of none, but better than a master of one. Ooh. Um, I so like that's, that. Yeah. So I, I found that I I read that somewhere last year, and I thought that's exactly it. <laughs> like that puts it um, back back into back into perspective. Really, it does. Yeah, yeah. And again, not to kind of knock being a being a specialist. You know, there's some there's you know beautiful guitar players and violin players and and that dedicate their entire lives to that one thing and and what a thing to spend your life doing. But absolutely, in terms of being outside. My goal always is just to be outside. <laughs> so um, as long as I've got the sky over my head, then whatever I'm doing, I just need to be good enough at whatever I'm doing so that I don't die while I'm enjoying the sky. Yeah, um, and, I like that. And, yeah, man. So like that's that's how I've kind of approached everything, really. So whenever I get good enough at something, and it's mostly subconscious, I suppose, but what, like so when I was doing a ton of canoeing um, last year and we were, I was really kind of hitting it hard to get my personal skills up and stuff. Um, you know, it got to a point where I, I sort of felt comfortable at the level I was at, you know, and that I could, my mind then wandered to other things. Um, yeah. And that's I'm terrible I, at that. Yeah. But I, but I think that's like a nice way of enjoying the outside because it stops you from going down a rabbit hole and just becoming obsessed um and and moving away from something as well it kind of lets those skills coalesce and some Mm. some of it falls away and some of it really sticks Mm. so then when you go back to it you've kind of you know it's like tempering tempering the steel a little bit you go back to it and um the core the core of what you've got there is is there and all the kind of slag has broken off and fallen away that's a nice Uh, way of looking at it for sure yeah and then you can like you can hammer on it then and, and make it make it you know harder 
Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I've often used that that uh, that analogy with like tempering steel, and is is a uh, is absolutely. I totally agree with you. And um, I mean, yeah. I mean, being a, a, I think it suits people's some people's personalities, particularly my own. I can only speak for myself personally. I've often been, I, I don't know, it's one of those conversations I've had, I'm sure, many times with people, and I'm trying to remember if I said this before on the podcast, so forgive me if I have, but I'm the type of person that I've never really mastered anything. I've often, I've always been, uh, I've always gotten to a point with something, kind of plateaued, and like like spoon carving, for example, I was never, I'm never going to be an expert spoon carver or a master craftsman. Like, you know, you see some like uh, I'm trying to I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. And like Byrne, for example, who's just an absolute like it's yeah, yeah. it's magic to watch someone like that carve a spoon. And it, the spoon just seems to fall out of the wood. It's unbelievable. Um and I've only recently in the last kind of week or so gotten back into spoon carving and I haven't carved a spoon probably in about a year. Um, but it was really interesting to see uh, the motor skills and the mo- muscle memory that was still there, that is still there. And my speed is still kind of OK. And obviously I'm not an, like I'm an OK spoon carver. I'm not an amazing spoon carver, but I kind of I get bored of things before I become masters at them. And I think for someone like you or I or I don't know I can't speak for you obviously but for myself I think the outdoors is a really good um, pursuit for people like that because there's so much to learn and you don't really need to become an expert in any of it you can choose to of course but I think it really suits people that want to like hoard knowledge and just like learn new things and because there's nothing more fun than like being at zero and then a week later being at like 15 you know or something and it's like even that from zero yeah, to 15 yeah. like the the amount that you've learned in those like couple of weeks uh it's like going to the gym isn't it well like when you when you start off like you really you see results really fast you see muscles start to grow out of muscles that you didn't know you had and then and then and then uh, the more you go you really <laughs> yeah. have to like push it and push it and push it just to keep that momentum of gains up um and i think it's the same can be said of of you know outdoor knowledge i mean you can very quickly get the fundamentals of of navigation for example of map reading of of a compass or anything like that and once you have that it's like that's fun now that's fun that's a fun skill to use i could go really deep and start learning like you know uh, all sorts of like you know crazy navigation systems or, or or grid references or anything like that but at that point at that point you're 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 getting yeah, yeah. so deep that is it is it useful when you're on the when you're in with as you say with the sky over your head sometimes yeah. it's not needed yeah no exactly i think that's that's navigation is a good way of um kind of couching all that information is that yeah like on one level you need to be able to navigate well enough to get to where you want to go and not get um, lost and not get lost on the way um and so within that you've then got everything down to you know do you know your precise location at any given point on that route um and to some degree and I, again i suppose it comes with kind of general confidence and experience and stuff but so for example i was talking to um i was talking to to max uh, last year because he's he's due for his uh, mountain leader assessment um so he gets his gets assessed on navigation um more than anything i suppose on that as well as like group management and stuff but um he was we were just having a general discussion about you know at any given point on that assessment in theory 
they could ask him to point on the map to where he thinks he is. Oh, and well. Then he's, he's got to know. That's like, shit. That, That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and so and, and obviously then that requires a level of concentration more than anything. I, I, I sure. think anyway. Once, sure. once, your skill, once your skills are, are up to scratch and you can read a map and comfortably navigate, it's then concentration. You know, if you, if you stop paying attention for five minutes, well, in that five minutes you can walk... Uh, a kilometer so, and drift if you need drift it. yeah yeah so you're then within potentially within a kilometer square um so um, but we were just talking about that and I, I i was sort of of the view that like when we were on that we were on a hillside while we we're having this conversation and i sort of said well i don't know because i've stopped looking at the map while we've been chatting exactly where i am on this tile this like one kilometer square tile um just offhand looking at the map you know with my thumb on it but if i look around me i can get within you know i can see there's a stream 300 meters away mm-hmm. i can i can look at the aspect of slope and know that i'm so far you know i'm on i'm on a certain bit of hillside um and then in terms of navigating well i know the safe way down i know the direction i need to go to get to the path we're aiming for so in in no in no way could you say i was lost Right, and exactly. So then, and and exactly. so that that was kind of my point to Max was like, well, at that point, I don't need to know precisely where I am. I'd much rather enjoy the walk, um, because I know I know enough. I know I know within eighty percent where I am on this map. The last twenty percent doesn't matter in that context. Now, obviously, if we were on some treacherous ridge where you know death awaited every wrong step, then I might be paying a bit more attention. And that's then, I suppose that's where you get that's where that 20 percent starts to matter i suppose absolutely yeah no absolutely um, really really uh is it, yeah absolutely i think good enough i think is the is the term and and sometimes i guess i find i'm of two side of, of two minds with that term because um i just remember as being a graphic designer well i still am a graphic designer but when i worked in a studio sometimes good enough wasn't good enough you know sometimes it yeah, was yeah. like it needs to be crisp it needs to be sharp it needs to be fucking like impeccable um, yeah. but but yeah I'm, i i mean that's the thing isn't it with as an outdoors when i think the only person that you're really uh you know if you have it, yeah the only person you're really like kind of looking out for is yourself then in that regard except for maybe first aid or something because if you're you know first aid is one of those things that you don't want someone that's well maybe, maybe you do yeah, want yeah. someone that's good enough you know just patch me up but yeah you know what i mean like there are yeah, certain... you, don't, you don't want somebody to to stop the bleeding 80 percent yeah exactly 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 but no no but it's it's an interesting uh it's a mindset that i suppose i never really uh before this conversation really took the time to think about and it's a really interesting uh kind of mindset to have when it comes to being outside like yeah, and and obviously I'm aware that this is people are listening to this. So <laughs> there's the way I see good enough. Again, that's based on its personal experience and its kind of professional development, um, and it's all built on risk assessment as well. So I, yes. again, like if I'm taking clients out, for example, yes, risk assessment is something the, that has to be fucking solid, waterproof. Yeah. Yeah, of course it is. So again, if I'm responsible for others outdoors, then my my threshold yes. for good enough is much much higher. Of course, of um, course, yes. And so, and and again, that, but 
I suppose, again, it comes down to, well, is it good enough? You never achieve perfection. No, you don't. Um, and I think if you're if you're if you can bring someone out and uh, I mean, you can even you don't it doesn't even have to be in like a classroom setting or a, or a course setting. If you can be walking through the woods with your dad or with your with your mate who doesn't necessarily go outside that often, you can point them to, well, that's that tree. And, you know, that's that, uh, you know, whatever, lichen or mushroom or whatever. And like that in that is teaching someone it's passing on knowledge and you don't necessarily it's not like a life or death situation in that situation you know and i yeah. love i love bringing people out because i mean i'm not at this that long i'm not an outdoor like i haven't been at it that long enough but i can definitely go out with friends or with family or with anybody or like with a, with my like little brother for example and be able to point to something and tell him something you know and that in and of itself for me is like is hugely rewarding and i can imagine you with the kids is it's very similar although obviously you're uh you've been at this a lot longer than i have but the that feeling is still the same i imagine oh absolutely yeah there's nothing nothing really that's 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 better than um well again just let's just speak personally for me there's there is no better feeling than being outside with my kids and one of them coming back to me and saying is this a english oak leaf (laughs) and you're like yes it is i'm just like yes yes it is yeah and and everything that comes along with that and i think uh, yeah i I suppose the only yeah and that's all it is that's all it's about man like that's why i do what i do like I, i wouldn't there would be no way to be a, a, a bushcraft instructor unless fundamentally you loved seeing people Light engaging up. With, with nature, yeah, and and, yeah. And, it, and it opening that up for them. Absolutely. I suppose yeah. the only thing, just to put a button on what we were talking about before, um, with the whole good enough thing, it does occur to me that there is a threshold to get past, which is, um, so there's that phrase of like, you know, um, Mount stupid. A, a, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yes. And so, yeah. yeah and again, it's difficult to know when where you, you are. That threshold. Yeah. You need to, you know. So, like canoeing is a brilliant example. Like you show somebody a river, and you say, "Yep, yeah, we're going to go down this rapid." Um, you know, just paddle hard, and you'll end up in the pool at the bottom. And if you fall out of the boat, it's fine. Now we've assessed all the danger for that, and the client that's coming along might not necessarily know all the dangers involved. Um, and you know, if they were to then go and do a trip for themselves, they've got no way of gauging how dangerous the river is. They've got no con- concept of. I suppose what I'm trying to say is, uh, there is a threshold by uh, which you have to cross where you're able to look at a situation and know the risks. And I think a lot of people get into trouble because they've not got to the point where there are there where there even are risks. 100% um, agree. 100% agree. I think Paul Curtly talked about that as well. Again, in one of his Bushcraft, uh, the Bushcraft Show courses, he talked, I can't remember, there's a curve, uh, there's a particular graph that... Uh, uh, the Dunning-Kruger curve. Yes, yes. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's it. A little bit of knowledge is definitely a dangerous thing. You, you, Like we were saying at the beginning when you, or earlier on, when you go from zero to 15, you're not aware that you're not, you're not aware that you're at 15. You might think that you're at well, some people might think they're at sixty. And it's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. it's like, dude, you got a whole lot of shit to learn before you, you know. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that can be an issue for sure. But I think yeah, having it, having a mental awareness of that, I think is a is is definitely an important thing, and and the balance is required there. You know, it's it's just common sense. You know. Yeah, I think I I generally approach anything now with a with a degree of 
I assume I know less than I think I do. That's a good way to be. You know, if I look at a river um, and I, it looks safe for me to paddle, I will assume that I'm missing something. I'll assume there's something I've I've not, you know, and so I'll try and go through every iteration of what I could conceive to be possibly wrong. And then the benefit of having friends that are more experienced than me is that once I've done my assessment of a situation, I can then go to Robin or go to Andy um, or go to Max, actually, you know, and say, what's your assessment of this? And w- invariably, there'll be things that we pick up from each other. Um, but, yeah, getting past that that initial threshold so you don't eat a false chanterelle or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, Mushrooms it's and edibles and stuff. That's an, that's a perfect example. Yeah, I mean, we've been yeah. I've been on a mushroom course this weekend with Elenikish, who uh, has just released a book here. It's it's unfortunately it's only in Swedish right now, which is kind of uh, it, you definitely don't want to be trying to interpret a, a mushroom book in a different language. But <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but even just the the small amount that I gained over the weekend, the little knowledge, and I literally went from knowing what you know two or three mushrooms to maybe 10 mushrooms and cool. and but still going like i'm still not going to go near anything without yeah, yeah. having someone like that on because like the dunning kruger effect is is a potentially deadly uh effect to be having when it comes to wild edibles you know so yeah 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 yeah, yeah i think um that dunning kruger curve needs um needs like a quantum tunnel but uh, through that <laughs> spike because i reckon like if you talk to a good teacher about something you can miss that whole blip and just end up in the place where you want to be which is kind of you know in the bottom of that second curve yes um, yes yes you know? absolutely. So I, think they can, I think they can kind of get you there faster um, no absolutely but yeah i mean foraging in general the way the way i kind of couch foraging in my courses is to um uh is to basically try and get people to understand that um what's the what's the best way to say this like um so po- we what we what we practice is positive identification so um if you're going to identify a plant you don't identify it by going well i know it's not this and it's not that so it must be this thing um the yeah way it's we, not a process way, of elimination yeah exactly and that's that's something so i i have been on paul kirtley's um online tree and ma- tree and plant masterclass uh, for the last like five years or something and that's something that he kind of hammers on on that course which is brilliant and so I, i've kind of adopted that uh, that approach um so that's that's one way of doing that is to go okay well we're gonna identify this thing 100 percent positively so that we know it, it is what it is um but also i think it's worthwhile knowing that it could be something else um, mm-hmm. So and knowing what time of the year it is, and you know whether something grows at one side of the year over the other, it's like well, it's definitely not that because they don't even exist here, or they don't exist under oak trees or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, like mushrooms working in that way is, that works really well. And so like a good example would be something like wood sorrel. Um, you know, if, if you look at wood sorrel, um, you go okay, well, this is a three-lobed little plant that likes the shade. Um, you know, it's got kind of a short, slightly hairy stem and it's got a white flower at certain times of year. Um, so I positively identified it. What could it be? And largely the only thing that really looks like wood cereal, I suppose, is clover. Um, so it's then 
it's you then go, okay, well, I know what wood sorrel looks like and I know what clover looks like. Clover's got the little kind of cuticle sort of shading in the leaf. Uh, it generally likes open light spaces and it's quite dark and shady here. But also, I'm not going to kill myself if I eat a few yeah, clover leaves uh, exactly. instead of wood sorrel. Exactly. So yeah. That's, yeah, I think wood sorrel is really one of the first. Yeah, I think wood sorrel is one of the first things that people on uh, one of the first things that I learned anyway in terms of wild yeah, edibles. Yeah, yeah but yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely, that's and that's that's, a that's the example. reason why. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you yeah. know, if you if you're trying to if you're trying to look at um, a morel, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, or like or chickweed, um, and you've got yellow pimpernel, which looks largely similar. And if you're not aware that yellow pimpernel is even a plant, then all and all you're looking for is the characteristics of chickweed. Um, and you, it look it does look like it. I mean, there are definitely differences, and once you know those differences, great. But if you you know, so that that's that awareness of going well, it, you know, is there a plant that looks like this plant, and how do I tell the difference? Um, I think that's that's again that's that threshold of getting past that little bit of dangerous knowledge, and getting on to the sort of um, progression. The positive identification. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, there was just one other thing that, well, not one other thing. It's it's definitely uh another conversation in and of itself. Which if you're if you don't if you had the time, I'd love to talk to you about. But um, I've got, I've got nothing else going on tonight, mate. I'm, awesome, I'm man. For anything. Awesome, man. This is I'm really enjoying our conversation. Um, there was a thing I wanted to talk to you about, and that was uh, creativity. Um, yeah. And I think it's for me. I think uh, having come from a design background and a photography background has really helped, um, I, I suppose, being able to, because ca- I was talking, I was thinking about just there, um, and this is where it kind of sparked from, you were talking about the names of your courses and how you love like really like inventive, creative, kind of historical, um, sort of uh, historically based kind of names for your courses that kind of you know you're painting some sort of a picture and an, of an adventure and I think and I think something that like just just the idea of coming up with um a really interesting name for your course and then also you know having a really beautiful uh document to send someone that isn't just a kit list that really paints a picture of what it is that's that they're going to experience and that on top of the fact that you write for the bushcraft journal and i i really love your articles and not not just the articles but the photography and stuff as well and i think um something that i i personally really resonate uh, with you from and that i see in myself is that you want to be able to somehow tell a story, create a narrative and, and really express a sense of, I guess, adventure or, or you know, this, this, this culture or this lifestyle. Um, and I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I think some, some people it comes to really naturally, like I think for you, I think it comes really naturally through your writing and through your photography and stuff. And I'd love to know, like, where, where does creativity lie for you in, in the outdoors? Because I don't think, I don't think it was in the past, something that was really considered, you know, people wrote books and they had designers and editors and things to, to make sense of their writing. But for someone like you or I, who are like trying to create videos, who are trying to create articles, trying to create beautiful photography and to really capture our, our experiences. And I think it's, it's a new skill set that's required um, in like the 21st century as an outdoors person. And I'd love to know what your thoughts are on, on that. Sure. Um, so yeah, you're not you're not wrong. That's definitely a conversation. Um, we could, yeah, we could have is. on that. But yeah, um, all right. Uh, so I suppose <laughs> the first thing to say would be go. Um, all right, I'll put the kettle on. Put the kettle on. 
Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I suppose the first thing I'd say would be that uh, I would be perfectly comfortable creating no content, no stories, nothing, no photographs or anything, and just I could just be a hermit living on my own in the woods and I'd be perfectly happy. Um, right. So I, I don't have an inherent drive, I suppose... That might not be right. I think no. you do, dude. I think you do. Like just yeah, from maybe just, I do. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, yeah, even I, just I suppose... your even just your bushcraft journal articles in and of themselves. I mean, I I designed a journal and I I am given like a folder of like twelve articles, and I always look forward to seeing your folder. I like it's oh, one thanks, of the, I it's the first one I go into. I'm like, uh, what's Jamie doing? You know. <laughs> sure. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it means a lot. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is that. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, um, so for me, I don't go out there in order to create something, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. So the, the experience in and of itself is, is authentic to me. No, like, absolutely. But know, I think, I, yeah. and, and sorry um, to interrupt you, but I think, no, go for it. I think you're inherently good at documenting that. You know, I don't yeah, think yeah. I'm not I'm not suggesting that you go to create content, but I think when you are out there doing it, I think you you're able to capture it in a really like engaging way, like a captivating way. Yeah, sure. Um, again, thanks for the compliment. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, I guess um, that I just wanted to sort of put that out there as a caveat, I suppose, because sure. um, I do thoroughly then enjoy telling stories, um, and and being creative and I think some of that you know what one way to talk about that would be to say that while I'm kind of a self-made man in the sense that I run my own business and I don't there's nobody else here that is gonna you know like I don't have an editor or or a website person or a photographer or anything like that so I've can't that would be one way to look at it is that I have to generate all that stuff myself so I am doing um and I think that to a large degree um, the way the culture's going at the minute and, and the way that people kind of are finding their their way in the world um, it, there is a level of entrepreneurism the, 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 the ability the, the ability to be an entrepreneur is there yeah we're, we're got, given the tools all these tools yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Um, so that'd be one way to look at it the other way would, would be to say that well um and we could have a really philosophical conversation about this. I had a similar conversation with, um, again, Matt at the Adventure Podcast when I interviewed him for the journal about narrative. Um, because I think... Telling stories. Well, it's, it's how we... It's how we make sense of the world. So we, we tell stories to ourselves anyway. That's how we build an ego. So I am an outdoors person i am a father the you know those are all you know they're all true facts but the it, it's a narrative that i've woven into myself so that then um you, you know that's kind of that's how i that's how i perceive the the character of jamie dakota <laughs> and so right it, yes it, um and and you know i i like a good Joe Rogan podcast as much as anyone so the I you know all that kind of deep dive into like what what is the self and um you know I I tend to think of consciousness in different ways and all that sort of thing um but yeah I mean I I'm I'm creative because that is 
um, something I enjoy ultimately. I suppose, like if I'm if I'm if I'm going to make a pot hanger to cook my dinner, it might as well be beautiful. Sure. Like I Absolutely. have the ability to do that. So it, it for my part, it seems like laziness to not make it beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can make it look good, so I should. Um, Is it, it not good enough? Well, no. <laughs> it's it, it's always I tell you once the once my stomach starts rumbling, it's definitely good yeah, yeah yeah that's um, it true yeah. But yeah, so and I think um, but yeah, I think I I am especially interested in story and narrative, um, and using that as a way to kind of see the world. So and this kind of quite viscerally. Um, when I was on my Duke of Edinburgh um, assessment at Gold, we were on um, we were up in Scotland near Fort William, uh, and it was the first day. And I'd because we'd done it through college, we'd not got to pick our groups. We just we it just happened to be that there were four of us that were going for our Duke of Edinburgh Gold expedition that year. So I got grouped in with with three girls and myself, going to do this four day kind of hike in Scotland, um, and. They were brilliant, but they'd never done anything outdoors before. So I'm kind of 17, I think, at that point. And, you know, I, I was very good at map reading and planning routes. I'd done loads of wild camping and that sort of thing. So because of those things, I naturally fell into the kind of leadership role within that group. Um, and so I planned the route and I planned the route based on what I was able to do. And one of the things I've learned since then <laughs> was that you really should plan your routes based on the least able of your group. Um, so the first day was like a 37 kilometer hike <laughs> over a mountain range in Scotland um, to the Piece shores. Of cake. Of what... Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just bounce <laughs> over. Um, and 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 it was. I mean, it it was pretty boring if I'm if I'm being really honest. We just walked up this long ass valley to to this saddle into mountains over the mountains and down the other side and it was just long like it wasn't a hard walk or technical or anything it just it was just long the, just like a slow felt every kilometer of it sure um and we got like halfway over this mountain range when one of the girls had a panic attack and so i had to like we sort of calmed her down i took her rucksack and put it on my front um, we started walking up the hill and obviously my brain's kind of racing at this point thinking all right well what what do we need to do like you know she's not hypothermic she's just upset so we just kind of need to get to a place where we can be comfortable maybe mm -hmm. meet up with Ali all this sort of stuff sure and it, it's it's kind of started to you know overwhelm me a little bit um so I just took took a quiet moment to myself and just said all right what would Aragorn do <laughs> right i love it yeah and um and of course then you go well aragon would be you know freaking ranger so sure. he'd just he'd just have a plan he'd make a plan and you know he'd, he'd get get stuff done um love and it. so like i i again gave in in terms of a narrative in terms of about being creative i was then in that role that was that was what i had to do so sure I'm that was gonna, your ego at yeah the time. yeah yeah. So I'm going to be like, all right, well, they're looking to me as to what to do. I've got a pretty decent plan as to how we can get out of this, so let's do it. And so that, you know, and, and kind of unpacking that afterwards and reflecting on it and stuff. Dude, that's like a classic, like, and, and sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, I mean, I remember when we used to create brands for companies, like we, one of the tasks that we would come, like we would bring them into the room and we would show them these different characters 
you know, right. like like we've got the hero, we've got the Joker, we've got the mother figure, we've got the, you know, the the the, the bandit, we've got you know, and then and then relating those characters to pop culture. So we've got the the hero that's like Aragorn, literally. So you, you've literally as, assumed a role um, based on a. I don't know if you've ever heard, if you've ever read. Um, oh, I can't remember what the name of the book, The Hero's Journey. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's basically like that. That um, the the basic arc of us of like uh, classic Greek tales, Roman, you know, tales. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's it, all the way to Star Wars, the Lord of the Rings. You know, it's always there's there's characters, there's roles that those characters play, and I think even that in and of itself for you to take on that, like to to be able to abstractly kind of remove your own personality from a situation and go, okay, what would the hero in this journey do? And and yeah. sort of be able to assume that role and sort of uh, almost play out that almost act that out. I yeah, think yeah. is a that's that's a that's an interesting uh, approach. I must say. <laughs> sure, but I think like ultimately, like humanity for forever has told themselves stories. So we've Absolutely. grown up with oral traditions, and we've got these we've got these myths for a reason. Um, and I think, yeah. So in terms of how narrative. Um, can kind of impact things in a kind of practical sense i kind of uh, you know you can use narrative then to assume or or um affect your mental state in order to um be be more cognizant of of ways of thinking rather than spiraling and starting to panic and and being thoughtless um you know if you can if you can give yourself a framework to work within when you're feeling like things are getting out of control if you just build a framework and if, even if that framework is all right i am aragorn the orcs mm-hmm. are after us you know <laughs> the, the pressures aren't like perform. Dude, that, that is then, that is such a uh practical use of creative thinking i, I really yeah. i really like that yeah yeah so and, and that that would be sort of one way to look at narrative but in terms of creativity um Creativity is kind of everything, I suppose. Like, I can't, I can't imagine, um, I can't imagine um, going out in any aspect of life and not having some sort of creative input on on that. So, a good example, I suppose, would be like shelter building, where we we teach. So, when we're teaching shelter building on the itinerant course, um, we sort of we obviously talk about the mechanics of shelter and you know protection against hypothermia and uh, you know how convection of how wind affects convection and all those sorts of things um so that people have got an understanding of what's going to affect them uh, we then talk about structures so how we can make structures strong how can we make them reliably strong and reliably safe um so using you know good strong fork sticks and pyramids and all that sort of thing or just you know, just basic kind of survival shelter stuff, um, and you know, create creating enough of a thermal mass with leaves and branches and things that the shelters kind of hold heat and all all that stuff. Um, but but then once you've got that information, you know, go nuts. Why, what? Yeah, why would you paint by numbers the rest of it? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you yeah. Know? So and we've had some beautiful experiences on the courses where we've kind of given this information out and clearly you know if, if somebody um if that's not doing it for someone and what they actually want is a paint by numbers 
framework that they can just, you know, log in the back of their head so that that time when they're lost in the hills and they need to build a shelter, they can pull out like A, B, C, D, E and get this thing done. That's there. That that we, we provide that for them. But the other side of that is like, well, most, of, you know, most of the time, it's not that you're in a difficult situation and you need a shelter. It's that you've elected to come out and you want to, you know, kind of enrich your outdoor life using natural materials and like i'm sure you you well i'm not i don't actually know but i would assume that you've slept in natural shelters um yeah and like there's nothing better like no it's, it's um, it is the best night out you'll have if it's built well and the leaves yeah. are settled and you don't mind the occasional slug giving you a kiss in the night or or, um, a, tick, or a tick or two <laughs> or a tick or two sure sure <laughs> no no I've definitely, yeah. it's weird what's a tick between friends yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's weird but, though actually um anytime I've, I've slept in a in a natural shelter i always dream about spider webs and spiders oh, okay right yeah right. every time and I've, I've built like lean tos i've built like you know little uh little a-frames and stuff and every time i sleep in them i just think about spiders all over me i guess it's a subconscious thing but yeah anyway maybe, sorry maybe Go on. maybe it's something to do with the breeze kind of you know moving hairs on your face yeah maybe maybe um yeah i i get sleep paralysis so um i i have some pretty epic dreams in shelters anyway <laughs> um but um but yeah, so we've we have we've had some beautiful occasions on courses where we've kind of shown them how to build like I don't know, let's say a kennel shelter, classic sort of A frame kennel shelter. Um and then someone's built it and they've done the classic thing where they've they've it's kind of compressed as they've been building it and it's now just a little bit too short. Uh, so their head's sticking out. Pretty common thing, you know, we try and tell them it's gonna happen every once in a while it you know it just ends up that way um because then at that point you could say well you've done it wrong start again or or you could go all right well it's a little bit short and again you're gonna fix it yeah if you look to the fundamentals of what you're trying to achieve here you don't want to get a wet head you want to create a still body of air around your uh, around your body so that you you can warm it and keep warm and it's not going to blow away blah 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 um so how can you affect that with the materials you've got to hand. And there's been some, uh, we've had some lovely bits of improvisation and, and stuff, stuff that I like, you that I would have never of. thought of. Yeah, and yeah. it's now part of what I teach. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's you know, like what, this ways of like extending, extending shelters. Some, somebody a couple of years ago put a, um, put a door. I've just seen it actually on the screen. I've got a screensaver in front of me on my computer of all uh, pictures from my archive just panning across and it's just prompted me someone um cut uh the sort of end section of leaves from a from a beech tree so it's like a big fan of green leaves um and they just hung that on the front of their open fronted um shelter as a as a bug screen and it was so simple like it took less than two seconds yeah, yeah minimal damage to the tree it's just the end twigs um but yeah, just a, an immediate and effective bug screen for their shelter because we'd got midges that weekend. Um, and I couldn't believe it. I was just like, I, I've never seen it before. And it, it, I, I'm sure like a thousand people have done that before, but it's not something I'd seen at that point. And so now that's just in the catalogue of stuff I can do. That's amazing. Um, and that just came out of, yeah, them having, A, having a need, and then uh, B, thinking creatively about how they can get around it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it it reminds me of uh, again just coming back to my design background and stuff like our our tutors 
Uh, my lead shooter, he was uh, his name was uh, David Smith, a very well respected graphic designer in his own, in and of his own right. You know, he was uh, European or uh, you know worldwide uh, recognized as a fantastic designer. And one of the things he said to us was like, uh, one of the best things about teaching students is that he's just constantly learning from them is like i he's like the amount of years i've been teaching as lead you know uh tutor on this course it's like every year something you know yeah i see something that i didn't think of or see before it's just kids and students are just <coughs> in like naturally think of ingenious uh kind of things and it also reminds me of um, a book i read by um the two creators of the as a um, product design uh, design strategy company in the in the states called IDEO IDEO, and they wrote a book a couple of years ago called Creative Confidence, um, and it kind of speaks to what you're talking about, and and it's kind of resonating with me now because I initially asked you that conversation about creativity because I was thinking about it on I suppose on the level of photography and writing and things like that, but actually um, at the core of it, creativity can be anything and. What that book talks about is looking at people that are in what would be considered maybe non-traditionally like creative jobs, like somebody who works in a in a hospital or somebody that works in an office or, you know, yeah. these kind of things and how everybody is inherently creative. And just because you can't draw or you can't, you know, it's like or play an instrument, it's like, well, of course you can't because you've never practiced it. You know, you, you don't yeah. know how to draw because you, you never practiced drawing. You don't know how to play piano because you never practiced it. But at the very core of it, we're, we're, we all painted and drew and scribbled as kids. Everybody's creative initially off. You know, we're, it's just inherently built into us as humans to be creative, to come up with novel solutions for things. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, this yeah. book. Yeah, and this book just talks about these different. It's kind of a, an anecdotal book about people who have come up with ingenious solutions to really technical problems, or you know, mm -hmm. like there was one example. I think I'm again. I think I might have mentioned this in the podcast before, but it was about um, an MRI machine in a hospital, and kids were terrified to get into it. Um, they had to book up like m way more time than was required to actually get the scan done because it took so long to like calm the kids and get them into the machines and all this kind of thing. Yeah. And this this uh, technician had decided to like turn the MRI room into like a pirate ship. So the walls are painted with like, you know, pirates. And then the, the MRI machine itself was turned into like, I don't know, I can't remember exactly what it was, but just that very simple kind of creative solution then like freed up the MRI machine because kids weren't so scared to get into it. Uh, they could That's get cool. more they could get more uh, work, you know, the machine could be used more often, it could be rotated more often, and ultimately, you know, it, it saved the hospital millions probably in the long term. Um, yeah, yeah. And just something so simple as that, like, you know, and, and I think, yeah, on the broader aspect of things, creativity can be, uh, can be uh, finding a really simple way to keep the bugs out of your wind shelter, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah, like, absolutely, I, uh, you get... Um, you sort of uh, talk about gamifying um, like boring elements of your life, don't they? So like if you, so like I and for me personally, I'm terrible at exercising for the sake of exercising. So like lockdown's been horrendous because I generally keep fit because I'm doing stuff, and so um, not not being able to do that stuff. Like 
I I had to gamify exercise at home, so we, I was doing it with the kids uh, initially, and just kind of making you know making just silly little games and things, just to like do push ups and whatnot. Um, so that yeah, that's one element in which that that kind of works. But I think um, yeah, like in terms of creativity uh, and and narrative. Um, like affecting outdoor life, I suppose. Uh, one of the best examples I've got of that um, would be uh, we were, I, I was trying to teach feather sticks, basically. So we've got feather sticks making as part of the uh, itinerant course. Um, and it comes, at a, it comes at a time in the course where we've already delivered how to light a small stick fire. We've talked through things like birch bark and fatwood and those sorts of natural resources so people have already generally speaking have got the skills uh, and feel like they've got enough resources to make a fire in in bad weather um and then we were introducing feather sticks as another way of doing that and what i was finding was that um a, a large proportion of people were, were kind of just going through the motions because feather sticks is quite hard it's quite quite a difficult thing to learn um, and they were just kind of going through the motions and would generally get bored and just kind of not really not really commit to it. And then they would use the things we'd already taught them in order to make the fire for, for the end of the course. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of like musing on this and I was trying to figure out like how I could get people engaged and, and uh, sort of in this feather stick session. And this is going back kind of a few years. Um, but one session um i guess i've just been thinking about it so I, I, it was on my mind so i started the session by talking about uh, a time that i'd really needed feather sticks um and so you know it's like me, you know tell this story about me and max kind of you know being in scotland and we'd we'd got to the end of this uh this day's paddling and the weather had been against us all day and it was cold and and, and wet and the rain was starting to freeze and there was um quite a heavily used area so there was no thin sticks and like the, the the crux of the story is that we needed feather sticks if we couldn't produce feather sticks in this situation we were not getting a fire lit um and you know i'd sort of embellish the story maybe a little bit here and there but um but yeah exactly but that was it so i'd got this narrative that i i introduced at the start of the session and then that made them make better feather sticks and that was just and and so that for me was like a really again a really kind of tangible way that uh, narrative storytelling had impacted their their learning and it context and, contextualizes and, why you would do something as well yeah 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 exactly and so and then i started i started to think well that's pretty much true of anything so like if there is and again it's that kind of story building for themselves so it might they might never be in a situation like that but they've got that story which they can attach, you know, they can just kind of bolt that on. So they, although they might never ever need feather sticks in the way that we needed them, they have got that as part of their kind of wheelhouse of stuff that they're aware of. Um, so, and that I find that to be true of pretty much any element of any anything I teach. If there's some narrative element where they can, uh, where you know, a student can associate themselves with with either me or with some characters situation or whatever yeah 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 um their learning tends to be 
more involved and more more engaged um and so so yeah so i guess that's kind of how i use narrative and creativity within within the context of teaching um i told you this is a long conversation man <laughs> and then yeah, yeah no, the, I'm, I'm i'm loving it ah cool um, yeah so then the other side the the other bit then would be the the photography and um the kind of story writing for the for the journal for the bushcraft journal um and so photography i suppose for me sometimes can be a way of um really uh, like engaging with whatever i'm photographing so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i the the kind of i suppose cliche or, or or negative aspect of photography is that you you can you can see yourself as one layer removed from an experience because you're looking you're physically looking through a camera um and you know depending on obviously what you're photographing it might be that instead of listening or watching or, or doing the thing you're photo- you're photographing it sure um so obviously there's kind of like caveats all over the place but for me usually when i'm photographing something photography is the thing that i'm doing so um if i'm photographing students on on a course or on a on a on a trip it's usually that that's the session that max is delivering or robin's delivering that's the task involved yeah and and so i'm not teaching at that point and i've removed myself from that situation but but even if even if it's just in my personal life and i'm just um I'm just photographing, you know, whatever, just just because that's what I want to do that day. Um, I then use the camera to as a means of engagement. So by framing up and building composition, paying Absolutely. attention to where the light's coming from and everything, it's a way of me interacting in the same way that me carving a spoon. Yes. Um, you know, I'm using a knife and I'm feeling the grain and I'm, you know, uh, affecting a design. Um, that's how I'm engaging with that with that material so that's kind of how i see photography no absolutely Um, and i think um it's a very it's funny because i spoke to there's a couple of guys here over the weekend with ella and uh the the mushroom foraging uh course and Mm -hmm. they had been on tour with her for the whole i think it was five weeks and with the task of documenting the trip because they're really good photographers they're brothers really skilled um outdoorsmen in and of their own right and I actually ended up getting an interview with them uh, which i will probably release after this one so people listen cool. it listen out for that um but indiana one of the guys that was there gave the exact same um answer to that question because it's something that it's a recurring theme for me and i've talked to zed about it i've talked to a few people about it it's like where's the balance between going out and deciding that you're just going to cook your dinner outside for the day versus okay i want to like i'd love to like photograph some stuff or i'd love to you know whatever and his his uh indiana's uh response to that was um you know what it's like i enjoy photographing that fire just as much as i enjoyed building that fire and it's like yeah, yeah. exactly that's such an it, that's it, nail on the head for me and you're ba- what you're saying there is exactly the same thing it's like when you're in that mode you're enjoying engaging with that uh material just as much as if you were carving the spoon or building that fire it's like the act yeah. of creating a beautiful photograph and i think 
yeah, that's 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 it, yeah. isn't it? And I think that's, that's it. I finally found the answer to that problem because I've been struggling with it for years. It's like, why am I taking photos? I should be enjoying this. It's like, no, but I'm really, <laughs> enjo- I'm actually really enjoying taking photographs yeah, yeah. of it. You know, and that's that's but that's like the earnest way of doing that as well. So you're not um, the the sort of the other way you could be doing that is lighting a fire for the sake of taking photographs of it. Yes, exactly. You know, and and there are a million reasons why you might want to do that, and that's perfectly valid. You know, for for one reason or another. But that's where that's where for me it feels a little bit icky, is when I feel like I'm doing something for the sake of the photograph or getting the shot. Yeah. Or, yeah. or so so like writing writing articles for the journal. Then that's quite can be quite a challenge for me because I don't want to go out and write an article for the journal. What I want to do is bake some record. bread. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I want to record an experience I've had. Yeah. So um, it it makes it tricky for me to kind of just drop, you know, just go. Okay, you need an article next month. That's cool. I'll just go and make an article. What what I'd rather do is just when I have an article, I'll I'll deliver it. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, yeah, no, that's that, a good way that, to be. Yeah, and that works great for the for the journal because Danny's, you know. And really easy going in that way and I'm, I'm i'm busy enough that that just works anyway you know i'm never i'm never not doing something for long enough that i, I don't have an article done yeah i mean um, i'm i'm the same with danny it's like i don't produce an article every month but every now and then i'll be like danny i got this idea what do you think he's like yeah do yeah, it yeah. do it yeah yeah exactly exactly um and and uh lost my train of thought there sorry uh, <laughs> that's all right <laughs> you were saying um, you were saying about how uh you don't you do enough that you produce articles anyway regardless of whether you need to or not yeah yeah that's it so yeah so it's not um i never feel like i'm doing it for the sake of an article i'm always just doing it and and, and that's i suppose what i was trying to get out was that it, in that in that way all of my photography and everything feels quite kind of honest yeah, I think that's the way it should be. Yeah, and that and like I say, sometimes it's not, and it it's got to be that way because I, you know, what one reason or another, I need some photographs or something. Um, but yeah, that's when it feels good. Is when it's you know I'm on a trip, the tasks of the trip are, are in hand, um, and the next thing I want to do now is take photographs, and I'm doing it because I want to. Um, that's that's when it feels good, um, and it's and so yeah that's that would be again like how i write articles so that initial article i wrote for the journal the one where we did the glen Affric thing um that came out of i was just you know writing so i used to write uh, lyrics for the band i was in okay <laughs> um so i i played bass and because like all bass players i felt inadequate and and yeah. uh, not like a not like a real musician you know so i thought what else can good i enough. contribute to this band <laughs> good enough good enough dude good enough <laughs> so uh, so i thought well i can write the lyrics um so i wrote i wrote like half of the lyrics for all the songs that we made but um the way i would the way i would approach that is that i've always really enjoyed again just for the enjoyment of it i like um, free associative writing so just just letting my hand write whatever it wants to write while I listen to music or whatever. Um, I used to do a lot more of that than I do now, but that's how I used to write lyrics for the band. Um, so in a similar way, when I'm writing articles for the journal, my 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 approach, my method is to um, generally have these almost kind of free associative notes. Um, so you just know, like a brain dump. Yeah. So like something will just like you know there be some hook or some line that will 
come to my head as I'm paddling or whatever and I'll just make a note of that either mentally or just get the notepad out and write it down uh, and then when I'm in the tent at the end of the end of the day one of the very last things I do before I go to bed is just have a brain dump so I'll just put the pen on the paper and my hand will burn through pages until I fall asleep basically um, and don't oh don't get me wrong like 80% of it is just absolute bollocks <laughs> uh, it's, the same, it's the same for everything that it's the same for everything. yeah yeah but there, but there's there's bits there, and because obviously I'm, it's not it's not pure free associate writing. So I'm I'm trying to skew it towards the experience I've had that day. It tends to have um, relevance, if nothing else. Um, so that's that's how I build an article. So once I you know I'll, I'll do that for say a trip if I'm doing a trip report, um, and then I'll have these like captions, I suppose, that I then seat within a within a, a narrative and then I just build the story up around that um so when I'm doing those kind of articles that's that's how I do it um, it's exactly do, it's exactly how I do it well, <laughs> not, the, not not the uh not the writing at the end of the day but definitely like a hook or something that will just come into my head that'll just like okay I have to like that's how I w- thought of that particular moment or yeah, yeah. If there's a way to articulate a particular uh environment that you're in or even like i mean just thinking about the last article i wrote i mean about you know the 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 autumn breeze coming under the under the uh under the lavu tent onto my head and i could feel that autumn was in the air with it because it was the first time all year that i had really felt a cool breeze on my head yeah yeah and wake waking up and i was just like it was the first thing i thought of when i woke up and it became part of that article like it really did yeah and i think like if if that experience is significant enough to get you know to make you write it down then it's significant enough to be worthy of putting into something like people will people will enjoy that element of what you've written because well like i said because it was significant because it meant enough to you to include it whereas if you were just sat thinking like all right i've written this you know i've written this review of a of a tent i need to like fill it up a bit I don't think yeah. it'd ever, it'd never feel quite as good. Um, no, it wouldn't. Because you'd it wouldn't. just be kind of, you know, just painted by numbers again. Well, that's um, it. Like my, my, my English teacher used to always say, it's like, write what you know. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and, you know, literally. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, um, yeah, that urge to just like, to tell, to tell a story. Like I said, we've been doing that since people began <laughs> um, absolutely yeah. you, you know we've got rock art and all sorts to tell us that we've we've always told stories and i think yeah i, I maybe i'll backtrack on what i said earlier that does seem to be a drive within me because that's like that's why we started the the hiking with howl podcast that we, we tried to do this year was that we me and max were just generally having these walks um and wanted to we were kind of, you know, came of it from a few different angles. Obviously, the sort of the kind of boring business element of wanting another way of attracting an audience to the website and all that sort of thing was in there, for, you know, obviously. But also, we wanted this. We wanted to somehow encourage people outside that, and and in a different way to the bushcraft that we do. So we, you know, we want to get people outside. It's good for people. It's good for the mental health. It's good for the physical health. Trying to get people out. Um, and then I had this idea that maybe we could do something like a like a walking tour. So do you know like how you go to like 
um, the tape, the, and... the tape modern, and you can yeah. download the app, yeah. and it will tell you what photo you're looking at or what picture you're looking at, and all that sort of thing. I sort of thought maybe we could do something like that for outdoor walks. Was the was the idea, um, and and you know chatting to Max, we thought, well, we can definitely waffle for that long, and, and <laughs> we're not we're not completely boring, so <laughs> it, we might get twenty minutes of useful stuff out of these hikes. Um, so, but obviously, we we tried to do that right at the start of a global pandemic, where we weren't allowed out of our uh, out of our houses. Um, so, um, so yeah, hopefully next year we'll be able to make more of a go of that. That sounds amazing, yeah. man. I'd be so I'd be really interested. To see yeah. That so, goes. I mean, we tried it with the first episode or the first couple of episodes, um, but it, I mean, it's like anything. I I I could trip over myself wanting it to be perfect, and uh, you know, good enough, I suppose. Um, yeah. And I, I sort of f- talked myself out of that. And I said, you know, what, like, go kind of old school with it. Do you know, like old, the way they used to make television programs was that they'd just start making a television program. Because, <laughs> and, and, and it would get good by like season four. Because by default, been, yeah. Yeah, because they'd just been doing it long enough that they taught themselves how to do it while they did it. And I thought like, well, just, yeah, just do that. You know, people, you know, and, and again, because we're doing it for the fun of it, like, I don't really care if nobody listens to it either. So that that was always good. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Sure. Even this this podcast, if you listen back to episodes like the first 10 episodes are horrendous, like in terms of uh, audio quality yeah, and yeah. stuff. But it was just like, <laughs> so let's just see how this, let's just see how this yeah, goes. But yeah. you just you, it's just fun. Like I say, in, in and of itself, it's yeah. fun for, for us. And then it, yeah. once it gets good, it's then hopefully fun for other people um but what were what we what we were sort of finding with that was that um because i'd kind of again come at it from a kind of sort of clinical approach and i thought all right let's have like facts about the things we're going to see on this route and we'll pre-plan the route and we'll we'll talk about this here and that there and that there. and all it meant was that it was really wooden and not fun for us because we were having to like carry around all these yeah, either remember it or carry around all this information with us and stuff so um, what we what we quickly realised was that actually again the sort of organic natural narrative of these walks was the interesting element uh, it, for us if nobody else. So um, I think the way the the podcast is going to go next year will be more. It'll still function as a walking tour, so somebody could listen to that episode while doing that walk and play the relevant sections at the relevant parts of the walk and it it all tied together that's that was that's the hope all along um but i think also it will just be a bit more of well whatever happens to us on that day happens to us and if somebody's walking in in a beautiful july day listening to us do that hike in december and we're getting blasted yeah. by the wind and rain yeah. all the better they can laugh at the fact that they're in that's the amazing and we got you know destroyed by bad weather so um very so cool. that's kind of where we're hoping that will go um that's amazing, dude. It sounds great. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that goes. Really. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's just another way to be creative outside. And and it get it gets us out. So it's another excuse for, for us to get out um, one or two extra days. And um, and yeah, it just kind of scratches that itch to, to make something, I suppose. To get outside. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's amazing, man. I'm, like, honestly, dude, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Oh, yeah, um, no it's been a lot... 
it's been a long time coming since we had a proper conversation you and I and um, I suppose before I let you go is there anything coming up for Howl that people need to be aware of of course you're doing the podcast and you're, you mentioned you have another podcast as well that you're working on apart from the walking tours um, do you want to point people towards that I'm sure people will be always in need of a new podcast to listen to Um Sure. Well, I, I mean, that's that's the podcast that we're working on. So that hiking with Howl podcast. Um, but oh, that, that, is, that the is the one. one but okay. there's, there's kind of two elements to it. So the other element is we've just got these dispatches um, episodes, which is an idea I just completely stole from another podcast um, from the Outside Magazine. They have just dispatches from Outside Magazine. Yeah, they yeah. have dispatches <laughs> from their writers in the field. I think is how they phrase it. Um, and I just like the idea that actually I can just click the mic on a capture a thing as it's happening and that that could be a little extra so some of the episodes were calling dispatches the last one was i just clipped the mic under my top during a rainstorm when we were camping out so it's like two hours of rain um but it's just yeah you know just a slightly different aspect um that i thought might be nice again i'm, I'm kind of aware that a lot of people as much as i'd like them to go out and do these walks whilst listening to the episodes a lot of people will just listen to them for the sake of listening to them. Mm-hmm. And they do function like that. That's that's Absolutely. why we needed that narrative element because that makes it fun to listen to. Uh, so I thought, well, yeah. while we're providing that, why not also uh, cook some chicken of the woods during a thunderstorm and record that? So that's one of the dispatches there as well, um, which is oh, it's awesome. Like all, all the efforts I go to to make everything look good and like even the canoe trips, all the efforts I go to to make sure the food's great and everything. It's always nature. Nature always outdoes me. Yeah. One way or another. <laughs> I think that's Whether the moral the of the story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm only there to just provide a... I, I basically go, here, look, yeah, and then nature yeah. nature does the rest. That's it. Um, so that, that's what we're doing with the podcast. Uh, in terms of interacting with us otherwise, um, we've got... Um, uh, November's kind of full of navigation courses that Max has run in so we do this Wayfinder day course um, it's like a one day uh, sort of essentials of navigation day um, so for people that have you know maybe done a bit of navigation or never done any navigation before it will mean that you can follow footpaths confidently with a map uh, a compass but also go off path maybe to go and look at some cool thing that you've seen in the landscape without getting lost Um and we're building we're building uh, that into a full navigation suite for next year, so we'll we'll have like a three tier course basically, so that an introductory, intermediate, and advanced navigation uh, suite, and people will come out of that with a certificate to say that they've kind of gone through this training and, and can navigate to that level, which would be great. Um, hopefully, should be doing something with your co-host, Mr. Joe Price, as well next year. All right. Um, if we can get some dates aligned and whatnot, we're we're just been chatting today actually about potentially collaborating on something excellent yeah uh, but otherwise you know find us on instagram how bushcraft or on facebook and all that awesome dude yeah cool well honestly dude it's been as i said it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you this evening i know it is um yeah it's always good to we'll keep in touch and we'll we'll get something happen next year post covid hopefully post covid everything everything's yeah. gonna happen yeah, yeah. hashtag post covid <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah yeah all right man all right, that's, that's brilliant yeah Yeah, you have a great evening and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, you too, man. Cheers. All right, bye-bye. See you again. Bye.